Well, today we're going to um, continue on a little bit in Proverbs, and today we're going to talk about what Proverbs has to say about one of the big themes that appears in Proverbs, and that is generosity. Uh, how we actually relate to other people. And I want to ask a question straight up front this morning, and that is, who is the most generous person that you know? If you could think for a moment, someone that you've encountered, experienced, maybe they're close to you, but when you think, who looks like generosity, what face comes to your mind? Well, when I asked myself this question, the first person that came to my mind was my dad and my grandfather. Uh, they were always, have always been very generous, very kind, and taught me from a young age about what generosity looks like. I remember uh, when I was young, my dad used to go very regularly and pick up a lady uh, who uh, couldn't get herself to church. Uh, she was in a wheelchair, she was in a nursing home, and often I would go off with him and we'd go early and I'd see him the way he uh, picked her up and put her in the car and then looked after her at the end of the service and took her home. And it always spoke to me about being a generous hearted person. My grandfather definitely was always generous because he used to give me so much more money than my mum and dad were happy for when I helped mow the lawns. Even back in the days when I did, wasn't even a real lawnmower, it was one of those plastic ones and I'd just follow my dad around. And he'd still give us money, like way more. Like my dad, every time I'd hear him like, go, hey, maybe you don't have to give him that much money. Like, and he'd go, hey, you don't tell me what to do, son. You know? <laughs> and they'd have this funny little thing and I was like, yes, go granddad. I also think of one of the most generous people that I've ever met, a man by the name of Gunnar who comes from Indonesia. He's a pastor, he's a business person, he's in education. And the first time I met Pastor Gunnar, all I thought was, my brother introduced me to him because my brother does a lot of work in Indonesia. And I just thought, what a kind, warm-hearted man. His smile was generous. The way he picked us up at the airport and took us to our accommodation was kind and generous. He would run around and he'd pick up our bags before we had a chance. And we'd say, no, no, it's all right. We can, we can carry our bags. And he'd go, no, 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 no. No, I insist. And then he was generous in every aspect of our encounter with him. But the more I got to know him and the more my brother told stories about Pastor Gunnar, I realized Gunnar had done very well in business and very well in setting up a number of different things. He set up Bible colleges throughout Indonesia. He set up um, education programs and he constantly uses all of his resources to help create new opportunities for people to be educated, to experience community, and to have their needs cared for. But he's not just the guy who's always setting up a business opportunity. He's also the guy that whenever he heard about someone who had gone through a tragedy or was in deep need, he would travel wherever he needed to, to get to the family, to be present with them, just to be with them through his presence. So I don't know who came to your mind when you think about a really generous person, but I could keep going. There are so many people that I could say, oh, they are such a generous person. But the challenge for us as we reflect today on what Proverbs would have to say to us is, would anyone ever say that to you? Would anyone bring up you in their mind 
when they think, who's the most generous person that I know? Now, don't put your hand up for this and say yes. Because <laughs> um, we might get to the humility um, conversation another week. But it's a great question to reflect on. Would somebody else say of me that they are the most generous person that they have met? One of my favorite passages in the book of Proverbs that I learned when I was a young teenager, uh, that me and some of my friends used to memorize different verses, and this was a common one that we used to talk about. A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. This idea of a generous, generous person prospering, there are two key words I want to zero in here for a moment. The word generous really is a word, it's a Hebrew word, that means um, to be noble, to be willing, to be a giver. And it conveys the idea of a person who's open-handed, who's gracious, who's benevolent, who's kind in their dealings with others. They've got a spirit of kindness about them, a, a, a liberality about them. They just... Um, they seem to be able to just express whoever or whatever it is that they have with the opposite of stinginess. They, 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 they go a little bit more than you would expect of them. And this is not just about giving financially. This is about in every way. You may say that a generous person has a generous spirit. The heart of who they are speaks of generosity. Now, this particular verse also says that this kind of a person will prosper. The word prosper here doesn't necessarily mean that they will financially prosper. It means that they will have abundance in their life. The principle and the idea that the, the writer of this proverb is expressing, and if you remember back to our first week when we talked about proverbs, we were saying that these are not laws but these are observations of life about how things generally are. These are reflections of wise people who, when they look out over life, they say, do you know what we've noticed? That the person who's generous to others, they end up being a prosperous person because there seems to be this reciprocal nature that's built into the universe in that when we express love to others, we tend to receive more love back. When we're kind to others, people want to be kind to us. Jesus tapped into this idea of the reciprocal nature of things in the Gospels when he, when he taught about giving and he said, if you judge others, oh, you can expect to be judged back, probably even more harshly. You see this all the time. Preachers, I watched this happen on a story that unfolded in 60 minutes a few weeks back. A person who was in charge of a large Christian university in America has a massive scandal about the way they were living their life and how they were conducting themselves. But the judgment coming back on them seems significant because they've been known as people who through their college and their institution were so tough on people's behaviours and the rules and regulations that they set for how people should conduct themselves in the university. And so when you preach or when you tell other people or when you are very opinionated about how other people live their lives, I can almost guarantee you, 
But remember, it's not, a, not a, rule, a rule or a law that must be. But generally speaking, when you fall or you fail in that area, people will be the first to go, oh, yeah, what a hypocrite. Oh, yeah, what about, you know, oh, man, never listen to what they have to say ever again. And it works in the same way Jesus says with giving. The measure that you use in giving will be what kind of comes back to you. But even more so, pressed down, shaken together, running over. So the principle and idea here is that how we invest our lives in others generally has an impact on how we receive back. But it's important to note that this is not some little formula like, hey, after the service today when we're out here, go up and be generous to someone and expect that two minutes later someone's going to walk up and be generous to you. It doesn't work like that. But then again, every now and again, someone's got a story, normally preachers, about how they gave or they were generous. And then very quick after that, they experienced generosity back. There's plenty of those stories going around. But I could also tell you stories of people that were generous for years and years and years and years. And they didn't see necessarily material generosity flow back into their life in that same way. But what I've noticed, and especially when traveling, traveling to developing world nations, is that those who we look at sometimes from the West and we see as those who are impoverished or don't have much, often their spirit and their life is so prosperous. And we can all acknowledge that we've met someone who has great material prosperity and wealth, but their soul is shrunk and small. Their spirit is small and it's in poverty. And yet when I was in Uganda and I've been in Indonesia and different parts of the world where I've seen the poorest of the poor express such generosity of spirit to us, my heart is filled and refreshed. And you see the joy that flows into their life and into their hearts. And so we see this principle of a generous person prospering. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. In Hollywood, there's a really interesting thing. I shared this with a friend recently. They have a tradition of film directors and studios who congratulate each other for beating their box office records. I'll give you a few examples of these up on the screen. In 1977, when Star Wars beat Jaws to become the highest grossing movie ever, Steven Spielberg took out the below or the, the ad that's on the screen for George Lucas. Dear George, last week, Star Wars moved ahead of Jaws in domestic film rentals. <laughs> I love that it has rentals. Your hyperspace performance package really did the trick. Congratulations to the Katina crowd and all the forces of your imagination that made Star Wars so worthy of the throne. Wear it well, your pal, Stephen. What a cool thing, right? But then... In 1982, E.T. beat Star Wars record and Lucas returned the favour and took out the below ad for Spielberg. Dear Stephen, congratulations to you and your extraterrestrial buddy. This week, E.T. moved ahead of Star Wars to take first place in the domestic film rentals. E.T.'s adventure on Earth and his gift of intergalactic friendship 
continues to touch us all. May the force always be with you, your pal, George Lucas. Now, I know what you're already thinking. This is very good marketing. <laughs> it's great marketing. It goes on and on. The Star Wars Special Edition then came out in 1997, taking E.T.'s US domestic record. Spielberg, Spielberg sent Lucas another one. Just one year later, Titanic shattered the global box office record and Lucas sent this to James Cameron. We'll see on the screen. More recently, other studios have got in the act. In 2015, Kevin Feige, the head of Marvel Studios, sent Universal a note when Jurassic World broke the opening weekend record. In 2015, the torch was passed back to Lucasfilm when The Force Awakens took the opening weekend record. In 2018, Avengers Infinity War passed The Force Awakens with the highest opening weekend and Lucasfilm president Kathleen Kennedy sent a note to Marvel. At this point, Titanic was second in the global record, having been overtaken by Cameron's Avatar. And when Avengers Endgame usurped Titanic into the number two spot in 2019, Cameron sent Marvel the below picture. To Kevin and everyone at Marvel, an iceberg sank the real Titanic. It took the Avengers to sink my Titanic. Everyone here at Lightstorm Entertainment salutes your amazing achievement. You've shown that the movie industry is not only alive and well, it's bigger than ever, Jim Cameron. Pretty cool, eh? After a release in 2021, Avatar quickly regained number one and Marvel upped the ante with a short video a note saying congratulations to Jim Cameron and all of the team. At the same time, the directors of Avengers Endgame, the Russo brothers sent Cameron their own image saying, passing the gauntlet back to you, Jim Cameron. Thanks for the beautiful art. Now, I love all these pictures because this is a great symbol of being generous in spirit, generous in heart. It's about not making the world all about you, but considering other people and their success and what's happening in their life. We call this having a generous spirit. But one of the really interesting things I've noticed, at least in Western churches, is our tendency to be generous as we learn about generosity to those who are in our circles. And I've kind of nicknamed this with my brother in dialogue. We call this the... The circle of middle-class generosity. It's this sort of circular, hey, I'm going to shout everyone at dinner tonight. And at some point, someone down the track is going to go, who did it last time? Although there's always that friend who never remembers. And you're like, no, I got the coffees this time. It's all good. And then next time, who, has the, who got the, ah, I'll get him again. And then you, you go, oh, yeah, that's right. This guy always forgets. But that's because we operate on this, what's a really nice thing? Let's just be generous. Let's like, any opportunity we get to express generosity to others, if we can do it, why not do it? Because it's just a really good thing for your heart. It's a really good way to express love and kindness to your friends and that. But one of the challenges that Proverbs challenges us with is to make sure that we're not thinking of generosity always in terms of what is going to be in it for me. Because the spirit and the heart of the Proverbs, as we go through them, is not that your life gets better, but that the world 
is blessed. The Proverbs are a reflection of the wisdom of saying, as we draw on the traditions of the law and of God's purposes for the world, God's intention is always that there be shalom for all of humanity, that there would be peace and harmony and goodness, that everyone would have the chance to experience the good life, that everyone would have the opportunity to not miss out, which is why built into the laws, even in the book of Leviticus and Deuteronomy, is this idea of if you have land, then share a portion of the land for the foreigner or the, the, the person who wanders through who's in need of your land, that they may pick up the grain on your land. Built into the heartbeat of Scripture is this idea that whatever we have is not ultimately ours. We don't own it, but we are stewards of it. We're given the opportunity to express whatever it is that we receive, understanding that everything we have is a gift of God. And if it's a gift of God and God is generous and his heart is for the poor and the oppressed, for justice and righteousness, then shouldn't our lives as generous people reflect the kind of world that God wants to create? Generosity is a sacrifice of love and an investment with a loving return. When you think about generosity, I want you to think of it in terms of a sacrifice. It costs you something. When you give money to those in need, it's costing you something. But when you make a sacrifice for something, you normally make a sacrifice in terms of an investment, not always even necessarily for yourself, but so that the result of this giving turns into some kind of benefit or blessing for others. In other words, we don't want to waste our resources. We don't want to give to causes that don't result in goodness and equity and uh, lives being transformed. We want to be wise and diligent where we invest our resources. But we make the sacrifice of love to demonstrate that what I have is an opportunity to express and make sure that those around about me, even those beyond my sight of middle class comfort, can receive from the many benefits that we have received also. Have you ever had that thought where you think, how weird that I ended up being born in this country or in this family and having the kind of life that I have. Now, everyone's going to answer that in a different way because some people were born into poverty. Some people were born with pe people from different religions or no religion. And some people, I bet there'd be a bunch of people in here, similar to me, were born in Australia in one of the wealthiest countries in the world to hardworking, typical middle-class people, parents, and I've resulted in having a very blessed life. And the idea I grew up with, with what being poor is, was nothing like what being poor and having poverty is. I thought our family were poor because we had a three-bedroom red brick home and the neighbours across the road who were rich had a double-storey house with two garages instead of one. And I remember saying to my mum and dad once, why are we poor and that family's rich? And my mum and dad trying to explain to me, well, 
their dad has this job, and their mum also has this job, and they have more money, and so that's why their kids get those bikes, and you get the bike that dad fixed up in the garage, which now your brother's going to get. I'm like, ah. Oh. And I'm like, yeah, so we're, we're poor. But then my mum trying to say, no, no, we're not actually poor. <laughs> but there is different amounts of resources that people have. They're just trying to explain it to me. And I'm, all I'm thinking in my head is, yeah, we're not as rich as them. Because you just don't have the capacity when you're young to be able to think about things at that level. But as you get older and as your worldview expands, you begin to realize we have so much. Generosity goes the extra mile. Some of you will be familiar with the story of the Good Samaritan that Jesus tells in the Gospel of Luke chapter 10. And in the story of the Good Samaritan, the backstory is people are wanting to know about what it looks like to live the eternal life. And so Jesus is telling this story and he uses this story as an illustration to challenge his Jewish listeners about what it means to live out God's way in the world and how we're to conduct our lives. But it's a radical and subversive story because he makes the hero of the story a, a Samaritan. Now we go, oh yeah, the good Samaritan. I never picked up on this when I was a kid. But what Jesus is doing in this story is he's highlighting, highlighting to these Jewish listeners that Samaritans who were despised and looked down upon by Jews is going to be the hero of the story because in the story there's a person who's been downtrodden, beaten, who's on the side of the road... And it's not a true story, but could be. And Jesus is telling a story to make a point. And he, he talks about how two people of the Jewish faith walk past this person and basically walk across the road, turn a blind eye and ignore the situation. And then a good Samaritan comes along. And he gets down and he cares for this person. And in the story, he takes him to a place where he can get healed and restored and then in verse 35 of chapter 10, it says, The next day in the story, he handed the innkeeper where the man was placed two silver coins, which is the equivalent of two full days of wages, two denaria. Or in this context, scholars say this would be worth two months of being able to stay in this inn or this hospice where he could be cared for. And he tells the innkeeper, take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. In other words, he's prepared to go the extra mile. This is the spirit and the heart of generosity. When we walk along through life and we see those in need, we ask ourselves, is there anything I could do? But then we do the follow through because God cares about the person are we going to just give them a few bucks? Or are we actually going to say what's required here in this context to truly bless and care for and look after this person? Andy Stanley has a great phrase, which is, do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. And the point of his statement is basically to say that so often we're like these Jewish religious people who walk past need and we say, oh, look, if I did that for everyone, I mean, that's just unsustainable. And recently, in the last two weeks, I had an encounter with somebody where I felt a prompting in my heart to go and introduce myself to this person and to just, they, they looked like they were 
navigating a very challenging dynamic in their life. And I said to this person, hey, why don't we go down to the cafe downstairs here and get a coffee? And, and they brought their child with them. Two hours later, the thought was running through my mind, I did not have two hours. I had what I thought was five minutes. But during the course of a conversation, as I realized someone desperately needed someone to process and to talk something out with, I felt like God said, you know what you just preached at Easter? It's an opportunity for you to practice that right now. This is running through my head, and I'm listening to this person. And then I thought, I had the thought, the next thought, I don't have time to do this with everyone. And as, as I'm, the thought's going through my head, the same counter-thought like smashes it down and says, who have you actually been doing this for? And it was like this little confronting dialogue going on in my head whilst also trying to listen to someone talk to me. Our brains are quite complex. And so I relaxed myself and I just went, all right, here we go. And I made a decision. It was a loving sacrifice in that moment. And I'm no hero in this. This is part of my discipleship learning journey. I was saying, I can't do this for everyone, but I can do it for one. And I'm not going to allow the limitation for, for what I can't do for everyone to stop me in the moment when God has given me an opportunity to be generous and kind and demonstrate loving sacrifice to somebody else. And here's what I know. When I walked away from that conversation, when, when the proverb says the generous will prosper, my heart was prospering. And I felt refreshed. And now a friendship has developed with this person in the shortest period of time where this person has already invested life back into my life without any prompting. But it just, you just look back and go, wow. And it's this moment of reminding ourselves, I gotta make sure that I don't shut down and get so consumed with my own success that I miss out on what it is that God's inviting me to do for others. Today, I want to ask you this question. How does God want you to be generous to those around about you? Who is it that God is inviting you to be generous to? Generosity isn't just giving money to people, but maybe. It means generous presence. It means being willing to listen. Sometimes you've heard the phrase, going out of your way. Going out of your way means you're on a mission somewhere, but then something gets your attention and you realize God's asking me to be generous in this moment for something that's more important. And so sometimes that means when it's easy to give $100 to someone, you realize, actually, maybe I need to sit here and listen to them for the next hour. Maybe it means serving someone. Maybe it means encouraging someone, going out of your way even to encourage someone that you think doesn't even deserve it because God's inviting you to bring words of life into somebody else's life. Maybe it does mean generous giving. Proverbs 19:17 says, whoever is kind to the poor lends to the Lord and he will reward them for what they have done. 21:13 says, whoever shuts their ears to the cry of the poor will also cry out and not be answered. In other words, the heartbeat of God is to care for those who do not have much. And next week, we have Compassion Sunday, and we're going to be talking about how we can move from our current tally of 400 
uh, children sponsored and see if we could reach another 100 in sponsorship and have 500 children sponsored through our community here at Good Life for Compassion. And then in the month of August, we're going to have a month to focus on mission and what it looks like for us to not only support and give and increase our capacity to resource more people to do God's mission in the world, but what it might look like for us to engage in that. So may we be generous in our giving. And the third thing is, may we be generous with our words. I can't tell you the amount of times that someone has said to me, I feel so discouraged. But I can tell you from personal experience how many times when I felt flat and discouraged, someone's come up and just at the right time spoken words of life, encouragement, of healing, of kindness. So I want to encourage you today. How can you use your presence? How can you use your financial giving? How can you use your words? Whatever it is. And what Proverbs really invites us to do, there's so many Proverbs about timing, about knowing the time to speak and the time to not speak. How sometimes a fool speaks and they should be listening. And other times, a wise person at just the right moment brings healing words to a situation or a circumstance. In other words, what Proverbs is inviting us to do is to not latch on to an individual proverb and say, this is the rule for my life, but to learn the art of wisdom in discerning in this moment, in this context that I'm in, what does it look like for me to be generous now? Because it might not be the very first thing that runs into your head. It may require discernment. And this is what the Spirit of God does in our hearts when we slow down to look beyond ourselves and to say, God, who do I need to bless in Jesus' name?